0: Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am a pastor and co-host. I'm a pastor at Browncroft, a co-host of this podcast. It's all there. I am here with uh, my illustrious and intelligent uh, co-host Aaron Mercer, our communications director at Browncroft. Hello, hello. All
1: right, glad to be on the podcast as your co-host once again. And Thanks for having
0: me part of it. It's gonna be a great conversation. I know, and then also our fantastic, flexible producer, uh, Nathan Yoder. So today uh, we have a guest, Uh, his name is Corey Nathan. Corey is a podcast host. Um, He also does a podcast on trailers, but his main podcast is talking about religion and politics and he'll say more about that. Um, I feel like since he works with trailers, um, and I, I believe that they're movie trailers, I, but in a podcast that you've never heard. Anyway, I just I had to do that. <laughs> in a world. <laughs> in a world.
1: <laughs> Where people listen to podcasts. <laughs> do you do the
2: voiceovers also? or uh, what's the, no, oh. no, 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 no. I just play one on TV.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Well, you know, we take serious topics and we make them not so serious, but in a good way. So our question today is why would I become a Christian even with all my doubts? Um, Corey, since we so brilliantly introduced you, you know, why don't you share a little bit about your story? What keeps you busy? And then uh, we'll start the conversation from there.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, so I am a serial entrepreneur. I started out in the business world i was going to a theater conservatory at night because that was my passion and uh, but i was a stockbroker during the day and uh, since then i've always had this kind of one foot in both worlds of business and the arts and uh, that's been reflected in my business endeavors my uh, theater endeavors i i have two two companies that i built and manage Um, there's a nonprofit that we started uh, a year and a half ago to help folks that were hit pretty hard by COVID and everything that was happening with it. Um, I ran a theater ministry uh, for theater and film ministry for the better part of 15 years. Um, And a, a few years ago, I discovered this awesome medium, this emerging medium of podcasts and just absolutely fell in love with it from the very first podcast I listened to. I just thought, man, this is such a great way to tell stories uh, or just simply to have earnest people of goodwill and good faith come together and have engaging, interesting conversations. So, yeah, we started our podcast about the history of the coming attractions industry and the movie poster industry not too long after I heard my first podcast. And then a year ago, uh, because of my avocation I've been studying, I'm I'm a Jew from Jersey who became a Christian. Uh, So that's the part, that's the, I I guess I buried the lead there uh, for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, And after I became a Christian, it it spurred a a number of conversations on really important issues, um, you know, family and politics and religion and theology. And I decided I wanted to start a, I wanted to start a podcast that addressed that that where we could have those conversations, but have them publicly. Um, and and the biggest thing is, I, I think that we could talk about uh, immigration issues or tax policy or how you know international affairs. But you know the way that we engage is really one of, if not the most pressing issue. So I wanted to talk about these issues, but I wanted to talk about them in public in a certain way. And that's why we started. I actually started it with my dad because my dad was the one who objected the most to me becoming a Christian. And um, uh, my my dad is a part time co host, uh, but uh, we're still having these conversations. And that's what we're doing on talking politics and religion without killing each other. Well, that's
0: a, I'll go
1: ahead. I was going to say that's awesome. I I I I might um, sympathize with your dad here. I I'm not sure if I'm part-time or full-time co-host now, but uh, that's up to Peter, I guess. So I'm, I'm He's so full-time. <laughs> we're we,
2: we're figuring that we out you as we go. Bench. That's right. That's
0: awesome. Um, um, you, just stop it. The the times that we didn't have him as a co-host lately, he was on vacation. Uh, <laughs> so, I just like to give Peter. a um, yeah. so so. Like, tell me
1: some of that that story. You know, of I mean, I'm fascinated by how you how anyone, regardless of. Con, you know becoming a Christian, which is very important, but like getting from stockbroking stockbroker uh, work to film work theater work and and the other um, work that you've done but but can you tell me just a little bit more about you know you, you said you buried the lead there Tell us a little bit more about uh, when did you become a christian when was when did that happen and how did that how did that change the trajectory of what you're doing? I guess, I guess we, it might be good to know when when that happened in terms of where were you along your career path too when that happened?
2: Well, I was just starting one of my first main businesses. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. I, we might have been in the process of incorporating. So this was uh, 2000. Uh, my main business, Nathan McDowell and Rose. Um, and I because I was at that stage, I was in my late 20s, I was seeking mentorship from folks that I really respected in the most important areas of life, you know, guys that I thought from my observations are good dads and good husbands, good in the community and obviously successful in business, but successful in a certain way. I wanted, I didn't want to, as a stockbroker, I learned that money is just transactional. Like not that it's easy to make money, but there are simple ways to make it. But there are there are certain ways to to make money where it's more of a reflection. It's more of a scoreboard, right? Um, and playing the game the right way. So not not to get too deep into that. But I was looking for mentorship in how to um, how to build a successful business uh, that that was the, the, where success was defined by the ways I wanted to. that were important to me, where, you know, being honest and valuing relationships, valuing other people, providing opportunities for other people were all reflected in the business that you were building. So a fellow that was mentoring me, his name's Hal, uh, he was Jewish growing up and had become a Christian. So one of the ways that he mentored me was by recommending books. And I started to notice that every book he gave me was what I thought of as a Jesus book. So you know, it kind of annoyed me that he was a Christian and not only was he a Christian, but he was like giving me all these quote unquote Jesus books. <laughs> so finally I decided to take him to task over it. I knew him for a couple of years at that point. And I said, how man, what's up with you? You're like, you were like on my team before and now you're on the other side. And he just didn't really take my kind of sharp elbows too seriously. Uh, instead, what he did was he gave me another book, <laughs> another book. <laughs> Another quote unquote Jesus book. And it was called, I could tell by the title of it, it was called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And I'm, I looked at it, well, one look, I'm like, How, what are you doing, man? Like, I'm not interested in your whole Christian thing. You know, he's like, look, do, look, here's the thing. I know what it means to be a Christian. I know what it means to be a Jewish, too. You know what it means to be Jewish, but you don't have the first clue about what it means to be a Christian. And I think you have some doubts, which is, I think, what we're gonna be talking about today. So why don't you at least give some time to considering this this other thing? So I read the book. I literally read it in about three hours. Uh, I still was not convinced whatsoever. Uh, but what it did, what it was was it was the first time that I had read any sort of attempt to make an empirical case about the life, death and resurrection of this character, Jesus. And I went to hell, I'm like, all right, man, you pissed me off. What do I do next? (laughs) And so he he pointed me in the direction of McDowell's more extensive works. Uh, And then on, uh, you know, uh, evidence that demands a verdict. um, I started seeking out not just other apologetics oriented works like Strobel's work, but also theology or introductions to theology. So I came across guys like G.K. Ch- uh, Chesterton, C.S. Lewis. Uh, I think I had read my first, not the academic books that he writes, but the um, more introductory works, uh, N.T. Wright, Tom Wright. Um, but what I was also doing, the further I got along, this was over the course of spring and summer of 2000, was I started to become worried, frankly, that I was considering this whole Christian thing. So I started seeking out other, um, other works about world religions and philosophies to see, see, I had these burning questions of like, how did this whole universe thing begin? And what is wrong with it? And is there something going on in this creation? And as I thought, came to later think of it as as creation, as that 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 is something happening in it where we're moving in the right direction and if we're moving in the right direction where are we going so i had these basic existential questions and long story short i finally came in the fall of 2000 to realize that of all the things that i was studying and, and it was like an obsessive thing that i was reading at like i, I probably reading about 10 hours a day i was just I, I i was barely sleeping i was just these questions were burning in me and i couldn't I needed to find some answers. So finally, in the fall of 2000, I finally got this whole time I hadn't read the New Testament. Um, and I finally got to the point where I read the New Testament. But Hal had told me, look, man, if you're going to do that, start with James. <laughs> like, But that's not the beginning of the book, no, you just start with James. And I, and I realized why, because the beginning of you remember the first couple of verses of James. Uh, Because I'm Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It says to the the 12 tribes or whatever. I forgot how it starts. But it it was basically, hey, hey, fellow Jews. (laughs) You know, And I'm like, hey, that's me. So I read through James. And it was also in James it grapples with some of the faith versus works and some of the things that I was like, some of this just doesn't make sense. I'm a Jew. Um, I read through James. I'm like, okay, all right. This is the coming attraction, if you will. Thank you for that. And then I went to Matthew to start at the beginning. And here's the kicker. Uh, Sorry about the long version of the story, but I got five chapters in and I read what I had recognized as a Devar Torah, because I I had grown up in an observant Jewish family. We went to an Orthodox synagogue and uh, an Orthodox, uh, you probably do this in in, um, conservative and reformed tradition as well. But you read from the Torah three times a week. And when you read from the Torah, a rabbi gives a Devar Torah, basically an explanation of what you just read, the Parsha or the portion of the Torah. And this Jesus guy <laughs> was given a Devar Torah, but it was the most brilliant Devar Torah I'd ever heard or read. And it was the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't put two and two together because I wasn't familiar with it. Uh, but I later found out that that was the famous Sermon on the Mount. And that just pulled me in. And I just kept on reading until I got to Revelation 22. And uh, I think it was either that night or the next night where I was just, I was still up at three in the morning. And. I had, I prayed the prayer, you know, <laughs> so, uh, the last part of this story is this part of the story is, um, I called Hal cause in Judaism you have like organized prayers, Baruch HaTad Hashem, you know, you have like organized prayers for everything, for bread, for wine, for going to the toilet, for like everything. Um, and, uh, I called Hal. I'm like, Hey, Hal, what's the prayer? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, if I become a Christian, what's the prayer? Is it like, I'm a Christian now? Like, what, what is the prayer? He's like, no, man, just talk to God. I'm like, you, what are you talking about? Don't you like got to get an appointment? And like, <laughs> he's like, no, man, just talk to God. So I talked to God at about three in the morning in the fall of 2000. I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm saying. Apparently you're listening to me. And I think I'm part of the problem, but I can also be part of the, the, the whole plan that you got. And I don't know, like, and I just like, you know. And the next morning, I turned to Lisa, my wife uh, Lisa, and I said, "Lisa, I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> I talked to God, and I think I'm a Christian." And she grew up being dragged to church in the sense she's from Alabama, uh, being dragged to church. The first thing she says is, "If you think I'm going to church every Sunday, you got another thing coming." So, <laughs> so I was a Christian, but Lisa came to the Lord a little bit later. So that's that's the long story. <laughs> so
0: you know, I want to I want to come back to that moment where you said the prayer because. I don't know if our listeners know this, so, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote Narnia, and if you read about his conversion story, it was as anticlimactic. He was like, (laughs) he felt defeated. He's like, I I can't win. And I, I think churches, we love to tell stories about... I was in my lowest place. Look at me go trailer voice, but I was in my lowest place. <laughs> Leave that to and, him. He's the one. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, the um, world
2: is against you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. and, and uh and God met me and I said a prayer and I felt this warmth and I felt this grace. And which one of those experiences in your prayer uh, you know, in coming to Jesus would you say? Was it anticlimactic defeated or was it this? powerful moment i mean how would you kind of describe that
2: none of the above it was it wasn't necessarily anticlimactic because i was still worried i was still worried it's kind of like i felt like if you're at a blackjack table or a poker table uh and and you think you know where you're at like i'm sitting on aces full of kings and i'm you know and i see what's on the board and i'm almost absolutely positively certain that i got the nuts and I shove my whole stack in. But there's still one little voice in the back of my head that you might lose the whole stack, right? So it was similar to that. That I, Only rumors about the possibility of me playing poker. But <laughs> aside from that, I, there was still this voice in the back of my head that was saying, uh, you might get struck by lightning right now for saying this whole Christian prayer thing. <laughs> you know, like, because, I mean, I had spent 29-something years um, growing up as an observant Orthodox Jew, and especially in you guys are in the Northeast, so maybe you guys experience this, but like when you're a Jew in the Northeast, you're usually one, maybe two generations removed from Holocaust survivors, from my family's from Eastern Europe and Russia, uh, pogrom survivors. And the guys wearing crosses on their chests were the guys who swung swords and beheaded your neighbors or your own family. Um, as well as in, here in the States, uh, the guys who were the Christians were, were the ones who were the, basically the ones that, that were holding you down. You associated Christian with all the bad things, all the antagonists, right? So I really, there was still a voice in my head that despite how coherent all of the answers were, uh, that, that I found to these existential questions, I still thought there's a possibility that I I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I get struck down by lightning. Once I said that, that prayer. So, but it, the, when I didn't get struck down by lightning, <laughs> it was more relief than anything else. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but well,
1: that's—I uh, mean, I—I'm I, glad that you didn't get struck by lightning, um, and I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm thankful that uh, you know that. You know, I'm sure since then you've probably had a lot of conversations. You had conversations between yourself and God. I'm sure there's been a lot of conversations you've had with others since then. Uh, you know. I, I would love to hear more about that, but I wonder also, how did that sort of pave the way for what you're doing now, particularly the podcast that you have? I mean, you, you've got a politi- uh, politics and religion podcast. Uh, how did that story, that you, your, your foundational story there, how did that kind of lead to, to this?
2: It's a great question. So part of what got me to the point of even being able to read the New Testament was what we think of as apologetics. So uh, G.K. Chesterton, I mentioned before, C.S. Lewis was a great apologist. Uh, There were others, uh, you know, Josh McDowell in in his own way and and Strobel in his own way. I had been reading and studying. um, I had been given the work of apologists, uh, tapes to listen to, books to read. And when I became a Christian, I became fascinated with this field with you know um how does the i want to find the verse just so i don't completely mess it up in um first peter uh you know the verse i'm talking about um right the uh be, be ready to give a
1: first peter 3. sorry Is
0: that right? yeah our, our pastor just spoke on it so it's a be ready to give an answer anytime anybody asks for, uh, but with
2: gentleness and respect. Yeah, yeah. So um, that that became a calling for me. Um, so you know, especially because right after I became a Christian, my dad about a month later sent me this ten-page single-spaced letter telling me all the reasons why I shouldn't become a Christian. So I started implementing some of these uh, tools uh, or or some of this way of thinking and some of this way engaging. Um, you know, being ready to make a defense for the hope that's within you, but with gentleness and respect, right? Um, and, and, and for the last 20 years, I've continued to try to find out, uh, try, try to learn how to do this effectively, how to talk to my friends, how to talk to my family, how to talk to a, a new friend that I just made in a coffee shop somewhere um, in such a way that's uh, that that bears... Truthfulness, um, as well as winsomeness, at the same time, you know. So it, it's—I'm not Jesus, uh, but I believe in Him, and I have the Holy Spirit in me. Uh, so, you know, that means that I, I, there are often times where I am completely mess it up. You know, there's still there's still the there's still the hum- humanity in me, the fallen humanity in me, um, but I get to participate in this. In this grand project of of um, redemption, this grand redemption project, you know, and if it's only just like one little drop, or I don't know, I, I'm kind of all over the place here, but that that's that's what comes to mind. So I, I hope that I hope that helps.
0: No, I, I think that that's helpful. One of the things I I just want to key in on because um, I think it's important, you know. So you talk about your Jewishness is a big part of your story. Uh, by the way Jesus was Jewish Um, I think that's important to acknowledge Um, and I guess what what I'm curious about from your perspective is you talked about how Christians were perceived as um, dare I say anti-semitic like against Jews and you know the the whole you know crux of the gospel is you know Jesus is this perfect Jewish man and you know I guess, how do you kind of handle that tension of growing up Jewish with all these doubts and then becoming a Christian? Um, And in some ways, like you talked about the book of James, it starts off and says 12 12 tribes, you know? And I think of the woman at the well who, you know, she's like, you're a Jew, why are you talking to me? But the chapter before in John three, you know, Jesus is explaining a new type of Jewishness to Nicodemus in, you know, in there. So there's all these allusions to the Bible about the importance of Judaism. But I think in our culture, there can be the perception of, you know, Christians and Jews are against each other. How do you kind of walk that tension?
2: I, part part of it is is just... This, this is not necessarily a new problem, as much as it might sound unique. You know, to your point, Jesus was Jewish, right? And the first, you know, his, his 12 and, and his first disciples were very, very Jewish. So allowing ourselves to read uh, the story that way, or re- read the Gospels that way, and remembering, picturing, picturing ourse- myself um, in that story is, is really helpful, you know, because, because at, like I had to go home to New Jersey <clears throat> and tell my very New York Jewish parents, um, that I was a Christian. And then at a certain point I realized this was not a new event, you know, guys like Peter <laughs> and James and, and, you know, the first disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, had to go home and tell their family, like, I found Mashiach. I, I am, I am leaving the house and I am following Mashiach. Could you imagine at that time, you know, when, when they were literally facing the spears and the swords of Roman soldiers, uh, that it was, it was that vital to them to hold on to keeping kosher and, 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 you know, observing Torah, uh, that, that it was a life and death thing, right? I, I had also later found out that there were more recent stories of this. That in my own family, um, the generation that was facing the Kazakhs, the men with crosses on their chests, that that were that were killing our people and burning down our houses, that people of that generation, just like in Fiddler on the Roof, that they found these the. Um, that not only did they befriend and ultimately marry the Goyish, the the, the non-Jewish, um, uh, one or two of my uncles on uh, my grandparents' generation became Christians. One became a Lutheran. Um, I don't know which uh, church the other um, fellow became part of, but this was not a new story. Uh, so, just remembering that, you know, I, I met a fellow um, at, at a a week long conference on apologetics, Kevin Van Hooser. I think he teaches at Trinity and he was working on, I think the name of the book was the drama of doctrine or something like that. Um, and, uh, he summed it, He hadn't published the book. He was doing some research on it. And he said, you know, the story of the Bible is still being written and we're in it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know? So that made sense to me. Because I had come, even though like I know we 're going to talk about doubts and stuff like that, but even though I still had a lot of doubts, certain things made a lot of sense to me and were so profound that it brought me across this divide. Uh, the last thing I wanted to do was become a Christian, so in that way, I related to the c s Lewis story of of you know coming to the Lord kicking and screaming, and i don't I don 't think it would have been met with such resistance, but saying i 'm a Christian was a really big deal because it was somehow, in my dad's eyes, it was somehow, I don't want to say killing the dozens and hundreds of generations that came before us to hold on to our Judaism, but it was something close to that. But, you know, realizing that there is a creator God, he created the heavens and the earth. uh, And then in chapter three of Genesis, something happened, you know, and and, uh, the, um, you know, something you know so, something happened in the fall you know and it, but the rest of the story is god goes about like he, he goes about redeeming his creation and 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 the way he goes about it is first around the people uh, that are descended from abraham and then he redefines it around jesus right i get to be a part of that whole story that's kind of cool so again i you're asking probing questions so my head is going <laughs> in a million different places so I don't know again <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question but I hope I touch upon something that makes sense.
1: Well let me, well, let me, let me I want to jump in there thank you for that that was uh, I think it was a great uh, great conversation there. So you mentioned you have doubts um, after you became a Christian my part one to my question is did you find that you had more or less doubts um, and the second part of the question is how have you expressed those um you you mentioned you mentioned just now that your your dad had sent you um a long letter about why not to become a christian but now you're also co-hosting or at least part-time co-hosting a podcast with them so how do those how does the expression of those doubts how has that played out in in the conversations you're having now if there are any doubts i'm just assuming there are doubts because that because of the whole oh, podcast yeah. we're having yeah
2: yeah, so uh, saying doubts could could sound like uh, a bad word uh, because um, we're given the illusion. And you could actually make a biblical case about this. A double-minded man is unbalanced in all his ways. You know, like you you can make a a scriptural case if you take individual pieces of scripture and say, do not ever have doubt. Like, but that's not the thing. Like, even Jesus, like in in the time uh, just before he was going to go to the cross, he said, Lord, if there's any other way, can you take this cup from me? Not to say that. So... Doubts is a very specific thing. I would say questions or concerns or fears or, you know, even anxiety, you know, there wouldn't be such so much talk about doubts and anxiety if, if. We didn't have them and we didn't have to work to overcome them. One of my favorite verses is be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds mind to Christ Jesus. Now I wouldn't have to pray for it if I already had it. <laughs> right? So I think doubts are, are natural. Anxiety is natural. Um, you know, one of my favorite prayers is a sh- one of the shortest prayers is Jesus help me. Right. Um, it's when, it's when Peter was, was walking outside of the, the, um, the boat and, and he was looking right at Jesus and yet he still had doubts, mm. you know, he was still, you know, maybe he got his eyes off Jesus or something like that, but he still had to pray for it, you know? Um, so, so we were talking before we started recording about, you know, I, I wish in the Lord's prayer, it, you know how it goes, um, uh, give us this day our daily bread. I wish we, I wish that that was like, give us this. give us this year, our annual bread, (laughs) you know, like I just want to, but God, God allows for that because he's training us to be daily dependent on him. So do I have doubts? Yeah. You know, and the funny thing is, is that every profound answer that I come up with it seems to like, okay, you got that answer, but now it just opens up like so many other bigger questions, and that's just the way it goes it's like you're not going to arrive until you actually arrive right until you actually get to the new heaven and the new earth right um, so i yeah yeah every 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 answer that every question that's answered opens up more questions and and you know get we're not settled on something because we're still going through it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, because I think God wants us to be in communion with Him. God wants us to be praying for these things, uh, you know. And and it doesn't come easily. Otherwise, wh- why wh- why would we have to pray for it or work for it? You know, it's it's like it's like in the in the whole grand scheme, and you know, forgive. You guys are the pastors, so I might be getting into an area that is a little bit more shaky here, but you know. Uh, the area of free will. If God programmed man and and if God programmed us to love him automatically, would there be value in that? But he programmed us. He, he, he made this whole thing with, with the, uh, with the opportunity for us to freely choose to love him. Right. And if we do so, then that love is that much more valuable just like just like arriving at these epiphanies, it's that much more valuable if we have to work for it, if we have to pray and be in communion with Him. Um, you know, so inevitably, being human beings like Adam and Eve, we're going to choose the wrong way because that's what we do as human beings. But but again, with that free will to freely choose, God also built into this whole thing the the the, the redemption plan. He He gave us the way forward, right? So. Yeah, with doubt comes the opportunity to freely choose to to do the things that God has given us, to go into his word, to to talk to him, to commune with him, to pray. Uh, he gave us all these tools to to at least go along the path and find new answers, answers which will open up new questions, and it's a beautiful thing. So,
1: do you feel like the <laughs> new the new questions uh do you feel like they help in your conversations with other, other people? Is that, I mean, it, is that useful? Or how, how, do you, how do you handle that? Probably, I mean, I imagine that a lot of the questions that you've come up with are questions that others are raising also. How does that affect yeah. your conversations? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, I have to guard against um, forgetting the process by which I arrived at certain conclusions. Because because somebody somebody could ask me a question or, or raise a concern that I had grappled with twenty years ago and my response could be very dismissive or arrogant and be like, Oh yeah, that's cute, you know? <laughs> I wrestled with that when I was in my you know, whatever. Um I love but, but...
0: I love the new Jersey that's coming out right now. This <laughs> is I, I feel like at home, you know, this is great.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um no, but to remember To be able to empathize with somebody, you know, and say, man, I know how you feel, man. And, um, I felt the same way and here's what I found, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and just to go through it with them, you know, not, not that they're necessarily going to arrive at the same conclusions. Um, but if they're, if they're a truth seeker, uh, then you have to trust you have to trust everything else that's working in that individual's life that they're going to arrive at the truth. Right. Uh, and and you also have to trust that there's there's sovereignty in you being in their life and you being in that conversation with them. Now I'd love to get like those notches on my salvation scoreboard, (laughs) but I, I just don't think that's the way these things go. I think, you know, in my own, um, story, I can look back and know that there were literally an army of prayer warriors that were working on me and praying for me. Mm. Right. There were dozens, if not hundreds of encounters that I had, whether it was encounters with dead guys whose books are on my bookshelf or encounters with friends, um, who sought just for a richer, deeper relationship with me. And the language that we were using was language of theology and existential questions. Um, So just being in the relationship and in the conversation and trusting in God, trusting in God really does have, have it all figured out. You don't have to, because God does have it figured out. So in that regard, I think it does going through all that stuff does help me. So,
0: so it's 1997. If you met Corey Nathan from 1997, who you are right now, how would you talk to him?
2: I would slap him around a little bit. (laughs) I would kick him in the... No, I I would... I think... So, I think at that time, I didn't necessarily trust the process, right? I didn't... I thought that... I thought that if I sent the perfect response to my dad, that he'd pray that magic prayer and come to the Lord, (laughs) you know? Um, So, I think that... The 1997 version of me, I'd really just uh, give hel- help to breathe a sense of, like, trust and faith in him that it's, it's okay. Um, you know, be still and know that I am, I am God, it says, right? Uh, just, it's okay. Like, we talked a little bit about being salt and light, and, you know, if you can just be one granule of salt— if if, you know in a conversation or or in a series of conversations uh if you can if you can make one percent of impact you can't turn somebody 180 degrees in one in one conversation or some people sometimes that happens i'm not denying that that's sometimes the case but more often than not it's a process you're taking one step at a time up a really high mountain a really tall mountain um so that's one thing. Be, be okay with the possibility of not having to turn them 180 degrees in one conversation, but maybe one degree. And then the other part of it is Corey of 1997 is that in doing so, be open to the possibility that they will, they will that that person will enrich your life by one percent, mm. you know, or give you one percent more nuance. Now, I'm not saying that um, I'm going to become a Buddhist now, and it's like my Christian path is on the way to some other thing. But, you know, it's like N.T. Wright's work. Uh, he he did his academic work as a historian, and he had to risk the possibility that if he was doing his work as a historian, he, he'd he find that some of his fundamental pillars of belief would be shaken. Fortunately, he's done all that work, and his his... Those pillars are even more solid. You know, the, the, the core truths are even more solid for someone like Tom Wright. You know, if truth is truth, we have to trust that it's still going to be true, even if there's more nuance to it. You know, some of the secondary and tertiary um, pieces of, of you know, the lines in the sand that we draw, those might be shaken. You know, Uh especially some of the cultural outworkings, you know, uh, but that's okay because that's supposed to be shed. Not, but not the core truth. Did Jesus live, die? Was he resurrected? Is he, is, is he the son of God? Is he a Mashiach? You know, there's, so that that's what I would say to 1997
1: Corey. Mm. Wow. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I know that for, to me that's always been really important also is, in, ha- in conversations with other people, being, I think it's demanded by intellectual honesty is to be willing to be shaped, not to go in thinking you have all the answers. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully you're helping each other along. Um, and, you know, even as we know the, the hope that is in us, we wanna share that. Um, it's, uh, If you're not listening to the other person, you're not going to make much headway, and it it takes time. So I think that's really cool, though, what you just said. Um, Yeah, I mean, so it makes me, you know, really curious of, you know, what have you found in some of your conversations? Uh, Have you you seen that play out? I mean, I think sometimes there are, um, there's probably people who feel like, sometimes these conversations, conversations about things like this can be like beating your head against the wall, you know, but have you seen people being willing to listen to each other and and actually make headway in a conversation like this?
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm still in the conversation with my dad. Um, you know, so again, if if you're, if what you're looking for is to completely turn someone around in one conversation, you are going to feel like you're banging your head against the wall. Uh, But if you're investing in the relationship and committed to keeping the conversation going, then I, I think you'll find, I think you'll find that enriching for everyone, you know, and listen, I'd love to sit here and say, my dad came to the Lord on, you know, such and such a day. Uh, but I will say that my dad's view of of Jesus is really interesting. And I think he has a much more accurate view of who Jesus is, albeit just short of claiming to him to be the Messiah, proclaiming him to be Messiah. So my dad's view of Jesus at this stage of our conversation is that he was a Messiah candidate. Uh, not only that, he was, because he reads it from a very, Jewish perspective. He reads the New Testament and, and theology from a very Jewish perspective. He's a Messiah candidate. Not only that, he was what what he thinks of as the tzaddik, uh, or the, the, the one of, if not the great rabbi of his day. Not only that, he sees him as a prophet, uh, very much in the tradition of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Malachi. Um And then he says, so what about Mashiach, dad? So he says, well, he was a failed Messiah candidate. Otherwise X, Y, and Z would have happened. And he would point to prophecy and and, um, Hebrew Bible and say X, Y, and Z. But this is, this is the kicker. He, he, when he first said that, oh, that's interesting. A failed Messiah, a Messiah candidate, but a failed Messiah candidate. About a year later, we revisited the conversation and he said, but here's the thing. The failure wasn't his. It was the failure of the people of Israel of his time, of his generation. I thought that is so interesting because in a way it's true. <laughs> like, would it, like, if, if there was a second coming, don't you think a bunch of us would just not recognize it that we would like Mashiach doesn't fail, but we will, <laughs> you know, like we won't recognize it. Like, like I, I just know, like, listen, I am uh, I am an independent politically. I'm an independent, but I think all this political side, this is one of the reasons why we talk politics and religion. Um, I am convinced that, if, you know, if if the second coming happened and we were like, you know, we were in it and all the stuff was happening, there'd be a bunch of people who'd miss it because they'd be like, wait, he's a Democrat. That can't possibly be the Messiah, you know, or something like that. Something just arbitrary that is so important to us that has nothing to do with Scripture, right? Nothing to do with what we know to be true. Uh, but we're, we're kind of like we have these blinders on our eyes. Like, listen, I know for sure. That, that when Messiah comes, he will absolutely be a Mets fan. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you on that a little bit as a Yankees fan, but you know, it's all good. Um, And we, I mean, God forbid we have a Red Sox yeah. fan. I was gonna but, say you're both wrong on that Well, yeah, Aaron. Well, you know, uh, let me just talk about your dad for a moment. Um, and I know that Aaron has a good question yeah, and stuff, okay. but you know, I had one of the most profound moments in my life on your podcast. Um, oh, you know, here, here I am. I had no idea. You know, Corey reaches out to me, he goes, Hey, you'd be good on a politics podcast. I'm like, I don't really have much to say, but you know, <laughs> we get to this point. Um, you know, when, uh, when my daughter was born, you know, I started saying a prayer from number six, 25 uh, through 26. Um, and it's a prayer, it's a priestly prayer and, um, you know, just, I was talking about that cause he's asking about prayer and, and I just mentioned that and he said, you know, I say that prayer three times a day mm-hmm. and I just, you know, it was just one of those moments that like, I just felt, I, I don't want to say the spirit, but it was just profound. And I, I think it's profound in any sort of doubt and any sort of person that's questioning you when when you find this moment of common ground. You know, and I, I think about Paul, um, you know, I know that for some of you, you're like, I guess I gotta read the Bible now. Well, I hope you do, but you yeah. know, there's this story of Paul and he's sharing about Jesus and he points to this Greek unknown God. And he says, this God that doesn't have a name, that's Jesus. And it, it's very, in some ways, controversial because if someone did that today, And and I I just kinda think of the common ground that we have and I think that sometimes that could be like with your dad about that prayer, but that could also be, you know, when you just you just let the air out and you say, I doubt too. You know, I really struggle with it. Like, there's something that happens in those volatile conversations that when you find something like that, it just there brings a greater connection. I don't know if you feel that or something like that.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. When you're willing to be vulnerable, I think it goes a much longer way. It turns the transactional into the relational, and there are much deeper roots to the relational, right? So if we're willing to if someone comes to us and asks us one of my favorite um uh just kind of interactions a buddy of mine was being he he's he was a missionary in northern spain um and uh one of the people in his neighborhood they were going on a run together and on the run the guy said he had all these issues with not just uh the bible but christianity in general and he said uh and he listed a whole bunch of things that are legit, like problems, you know, that you got to work through, you got to acknowledge and reckon with and work through. And oftentimes the, the inclination is to be like, to have like the quick answer and to say, well, no, the, you know, creation is only 6,000 something years old. And here's why, because I know, and I could prove you wrong. And, and, uh, my buddy Tommy's response was, yeah, you know, that's a real problem. And they ended up in this great relationship and friendship and guys started coming to church. And, you know, it's just because like, hey, I'm willing to acknowledge that this is hard. This is a problem, you know? And I think if we take that posture of like, I don't have all the answers. I'm trying to figure a bunch of stuff out. I don't, you know, like my kids, like pains in the butts a bunch of times like just because i'm a christian it doesn't mean i'm rich and i my kids are going to be good looking and get straight a's and be the best at sports like no i'm going to think of it with you man let's but hey can we figure it out together can we go shoulder to shoulder can, you know can we figure this out together and i think that's a win if you stay in the relationship and stay in a conversation i think that's a win that's all we can do god has god has the reins on the rest of it you know
1: I love that you take the approach of needing to, f- wanting to figure it out together, uh, and not wanting to just give up on the conversation, not wanting to not have the conversation because it's too hard, but wanting to actually engage and um, have a real conversation, and, and that's how you're going to be able to share the hope that you have in Christ that uh, he, he did uh, he was here. He did die on the cross. He did rise again. I mean, I think that's that's so cool. Um, are there any... Yeah, the just, just, just to... To
2: emphasize that, yeah, just to emphasize that point, um, one of my favorite uh, lines, I don't really have a lot of lines, but it's, it's a tool, is when, when I am confronted with something that I don't know, it's a great opportunity. And I often catch myself saying, that is a great question, and I have no idea, but can I get back to you on that? You know, because it gives me another conversation to have, you know, with that person. I don't know. And that's cool because it kind of busts down that that wall of like, oh, man, I'm the, you know, I have all the answers. But it gives me an opportunity to go and study and look into it. And it also gives me an opportunity to talk to him again and have another conversation about it. So I think that's a great opportunity if we see it as such.
1: That's awesome. And it shows that you care enough to want to have another conversation. Um, yeah, it's not just yeah. about having to be right or wrong. It's about uh, the interaction too. So I'm yeah, curious. Yeah, the Mets thing. I'm definitely right. I'm definitely <laughs> right about the Mets thing. <laughs> well, I have to ask. So what? What? Um, you know, there might be some people who are who are nervous about having a direct conversation about that right now with somebody who, you know, they maybe they don't want to feel like they're going toe to toe with them. That's that's not what it has to be. But if that if that's the worry that someone might have let's say someone wants to start off with a book. Um, what, Where would you point someone to a, uh, what's a good intellectually honest uh, and solid book that peop, someone could, you mentioned a few, you mentioned Evidence That Demands a Verdict, you mentioned C.S. Lewis, you mentioned uh, Lee Strobel, I, I probably in Case for Christ. I mean, but, but is there something in particular that stuck out to you on your journey, either as you were becoming a Christian or since then that you're like, that someone needs to read
2: that? Yeah, so I'm not as much of a fan of Strobel and McDowell as I was 20-something years ago, um, because I do think that they come at it from a transactional or uh, more debate contentious almost uh, style. Um, So I think... A good introduction to a theological case is C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I think Tom Wright's book, or I think the, I, I forget, sometimes he goes by Tom Wright, sometimes he goes by N.T. N.T. has sort of an answer to that called um, Simply Christian. Um, if, you, if you're really into, like, uh, early 20th century, first half of 20th century um, the GK Chesterton has one that I think preceded mere Christianity called Orthodoxy. Those were some of my favorite books because it told stories of questions that they all had, uh, that they had to really grapple with and come up with basic, um, basic theology, uh, and things that they could believe in like buoys or, or moorings that they could, they could hang their hat on their theological hat on. So I think if you, if you, wrestle with some of these questions and are given, um, approachable, accessible ideas to, to ponder, uh, and you can come to a little bit of clarity for yourself. Um, then, then it gives you a context to engage on any number of levels, you know, but listen, if you're looking for Good talking points or evidence, if you will, and want to have a, an inventory of pieces of evidence for the, um, the, the the merits of scripture, the fact that scripture is real, and that it stands up to other uh, literature of antiquity and any number of proofs, if you will. Then, yeah, like um, the, the McDowell work is great. Uh, I would start. I would start though with the intro. I mean, evidence demands a verdict is is pretty it's it's a it's a long read <laughs> so um but yeah those those are some but mere christianity and simply christian i think are two of my favorite pieces of work uh
0: we've had only a you know i don't know if you know this my both my grandmothers one's from brooklyn one uh was from queens they both passed away so i just feel like i was at a family event with you this is great so we uh <laughs> that's awesome we we close every episode uh, by asking the question what does jesus have to do with this um, so, what does Jesus have to do with all my doubts, um, even becoming a Christian? So, uh, Aaron and I answer that question, then you close us. So, Aaron, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it on you to start.
1: Well, I think this is a great conversation, and you know, I, I, I think that the the Lord wants us to ask questions. And he, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to have questions and to process through questions and. Um, and to process with other people about questions everyone has questions and it's wor- it's worth talking about them together if we're really you know honestly trying to get to the truth uh, together and um, praise God we have we have um, we have scripture to help us there uh, because the truth is in there um, we just have to dig in and read it and process it uh, i I think that this is a a great thing to be having amongst ourselves as Christians I think that it's also a good thing to have uh, great conversations you know with others whether it's over coffee or, or wherever else but I just I really don't I don't think Jesus is afraid of conversation of questions I'm not afraid of doubts and um, if we don't process them they just linger there so I think this is a good conversation
0: yeah Aaron I, I appreciate that um, you know I just I come back to this a lot in this podcast but Um, it's so fascinating that when you read the New Testament like Jesus is just not afraid of doubt you know there's the story of a doubting Thomas there's the story of the woman at the well there's the story of Nicodemus and all of these figures uh, they really have the they, they lay out their doubts they lay out their challenges and I think even simply by recording those in the Bible that God is Is saying you can doubt. Um, You can bring your questions. And so if you're a listener and you're saying, you know, this is about as connected to church as you feel by listening to this podcast or Christianity, um, I think there's power in realizing that the authors of scripture weren't afraid to share (coughs) stories of doubt. And I think that that gives us a model. And, you know, I'll close my thoughts with this people were shocked when they read Mother Teresa's diary of how often she doubted. And I guarantee you that if you find a, a follower of Jesus that, um, has integrity and that's authentic, dig enough into their story and you'll find areas and seasons of doubt, um, which kind of gives us permission to be real. So Corey, close this up.
2: Yeah. You know, again, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to give the answer because I, I, because I do have so many questions and I, I know I'm not the authority, but there were a couple things that came to mind, you know, do, do we ask questions? And I remembered a question, if you want to call it that, that Jesus himself asked, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he asked the question in that, the, like in, in the, at the crossroads of history, right? Why have you forsaken me? But what a lot of us <clears throat> forget is that he's quoting directly from Psalm 22. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, we, we don't stop at the question, you know, a lot of times when somebody brings up a a part of a verse that is problematic and I think it's not being used, I'll I'll just, I'll just want to say, hey, let's keep on reading. So looking at Psalm 22 he trusts later in the psalm. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. It's a psalm of victory. You know, we think that it just, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we really think about that, that's prob- that can be problematic. But he's quoting a psalm. There's a, there's more to the story. Let's keep reading, you know, or or um, something else that comes to mind uh, in First Corinthians. No temptation, or that word sometimes is, is um, translated as no testing, has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So I think questions are good, man. I think they're, I think they're, they're important. We're human. We're still in, in, we're still a work in progress. You know, keep on asking those questions. Uh, and I, I, I guess I do get, there are times when you say, okay, this is the answer. I, I can, this is solid, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. I get it, I believe it. And he is Mashiach, I get it, I believe it. There's a lot else that we could talk about. We, there's a lot else that we can debate, you know? And let's keep. Let's just stay in the conversation. So that's, that's what comes to mind.
0: Corey, it's been great having you. Um, you know, we're gonna be tagging you, so make sure you also follow uh, his podcast, Talking uh, Religion and Politics Without Killing Each Other. Um, yeah, and uh, Corey, you're, I mean, he's on everything. So if you look him up, Corey, it's E-Y, not just Y. Uh, Nathan uh, will find you there. So, Corey, thanks for being on with us.
2: Yeah, fellas, I really appreciate it. It's, it's, fun, it's fun just spending time with you. I really I really enjoy uh, the time that we get to hang out, and uh, I hope that we get to do it in person. Uh, grab a beer or coffee or whatever and <laughs> just hang out. It'll be fun.
0: I, I love it. I love it. Well, hey, uh, make sure you look Corey up, check out this episode, share it with a friend. Uh, the best way to get a hold of us is go to Uh You can subscribe to our email. It comes to you every week. And uh, thank you so much. We're so glad that you're on this journey with us responding to the questions uh, you don't feel comfortable asking in church. Thanks so much.